This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Each week we preview and review the business and market news with Craig Earlham. Oanda Senior Market Analyst in London, and I'm delighted to say he joins us again. How are you doing? I'm really good, mate. How are you? Yes, yeah, it's been an interesting week. Lots going on geopolitically and, of course, at home in the UK. Should we start with the leadership contest? We're finally down to the final two. It has been like a weird version of the X Factor, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really quite like X Factor in that I didn't watch these debates any more than I watched those episodes, to be quite honest. Everything I've heard about them since suggests that there was good reason for that. It sounds like they were extremely dull. Um, we Isn't don't... it your job to watch these debates, Craig? I'm very disappointed in It's you. my job to know what's going on, but I don't have to watch every little boring inch of it. And let's be honest, a group of guys who've already said effectively before that they don't want to tarnish the Conservative Party yeah. uh, in these debates um, suggesting that they're actually going to go at each other's throats which they didn't and it was quite mundane and everything I've read about it since. I'm not sure actually you watching or reading the same thing that I was because the BBC debate actually was quite fraught at times lots of arguing and people talking over each other actually it was pretty chaotic and not very well run. (laughs) What about the markets which is why we're here in terms of those two obviously we knew Boris Johnson was definitely going to be in the last two but Jeremy Hunt how do they feel about that or does it make no difference at all? The reports which we've had earlier in the week uh, which suggested that Boris was effectively going to lend some votes to Hunt in order to stop Gove getting in is quite telling really. I think Boris very much fancies his chances when it comes to taking on another Remainer given how unsuccessful a previous Remainer was. Um, uh, What I heard I saw earlier that Hunt's being described as Teresa with trousers um, which I mean <laughs> I think she wears trousers uh, as well that was my first thought to be yeah. quite honest it seemed I'm not bit, sure about the shoes though I don't no, think she wears those shoes maybe uh, uh, who, who knows I don't, uh, but all I know is I, I kind of do agree with the sentiment which is uh, I don't think there's that much difference between Hunt and Teresa. Maybe he's got slightly more personality. Uh, maybe he Touch does. Go, he does have a bit yeah. more business acumen. He's better at communication, that's for he's, sure. Exactly. Um, but ultimately, in terms of the actual strategy, he is a Remainer, reformed lever. He's very much not on the side of no deal, which makes the threat of no deal uh, a little bit weak. Um, he doesn't seem to have much of an idea of how he's going to change the deal enough to get this through Parliament, although he claims he does, but we've not really seen any details uh, alluding to such. Everything we know about the Tory membership suggests that this could be an easy ride for Boris. Now, I know mm. there's always surprises in these things, but he does seem to appeal to everything that they care about, including the fact that he is a Brexiteer, at least uh, publicly, anyway and he is very open to no deal although one thing i did learn from reading about these debates was that he very much didn't quite commit to it he said he has effectively said he would absolutely do it although it's not his preferred option so maybe that's something but either way i think the pound's kind of priced in boris at this point it's been priced in for a little bit of time now when he won that first contest getting what nearly half the votes and now he's got around 52 percent funnily enough uh, of the votes in this final round I think it's all pretty much priced in, so I guess it's a case of where do we go from here and just what these tactics are going to be, assuming he does take the uh, victory. certainly looks like it's going to be a coronation. As you said, anything can happen, and it is his to lose, really, and he certainly would have feared Michael Gove, who intellectually has a bit more rigour than Jeremy Hunt and certainly would have challenged him on all these hustings that we're going to go and see you're not going to go and see it for sure. I don't think I am either. In the next uh, in the next month or so. But yes, it looks like it's nailed on. And uh, obviously, markets are looking at 
what happens next now we were just discussing that off air and uh, we've gone on all sorts of journeys in that discussion in terms of election extension referendum maybe not so much what would markets like to happen yeah, I feel like we're going to see a lot more of these diagrams now starting to come to the fore where we <laughs> yeah. say, if this doesn't happen, then this, and if yeah. this doesn't happen, then that. It's so unpredictable right now. Let's say Boris Johnson wins this race. He doesn't really have much time to actually renegotiate with the EU, and he hasn't fully committed to exiting on the 31st of October without a deal if there isn't one on the table that can get through Parliament. What the most realistic thing that we see now is that he does request an extension, say to March next year, so a very short one. He sells it as, I've just not had enough time to actually renegotiate, and I think I can renegotiate that backstop and get this through and leave with a deal uh, that everyone can get behind. So that gives him a few more months until the end of March. Can he convince the EU that the backstop isn't necessary and that there is a technological solution available to resolve the issue of the Northern Irish border? I'm not sure how that's possible. Theresa May, granted she's not the best negotiator in the world, clearly, but she failed to do so for two years to convince of that. That was with Brexiteers even on her cabinet. But she was a Remainer. They were never that keen on her doing the negotiations. At least they've got one of their own on their side now, so maybe they'll be a bit more malleable. Yeah, you take the same deal, you rewrap it in better paper exactly. and then you sell it back to the same people. That is a possibility. The The question is, what if he can't do that by the 31st of March, assuming that that's when an extension would be agreed to? When we look at how Macron in particular approached the last extension, a number of them were in favour of a longer extension, maybe to the end of the year. Uh, he wasn't very, he himself wasn't on board with this, so perhaps he would very much favour a short extension to the 31st of March as an example as well. And then it's a case of what would you do then? Does Boris have the audacity to call an election and risk a Jeremy Corbyn government? There's now effectively four parties all vying, four or five real parties vying for these votes, which would mean that the chances of a majority are far slimmer than they've been in the past and that there's more chance of coalitions. It's really difficult to see how we now get to the point where we're exiting the EU uh, without either A, somehow getting around government having an actual say in no deal, B, an election or see a referendum and that's where I think we'll find ourselves back at the end of the 31st of March looking at these same options again. Okay let's talk about some of the economics and the data that we've seen and is to come uh, in the week. The Bank of England inflation report hearing is on Wednesday but of course we did have that uh, slight drop in inflation which was perhaps a bit of a surprise. A little bit of a surprise, but not enormously when we look at the trends going on across the world right now, the US and Europe included. So that wasn't necessarily a massive surprise. I think more interesting is the fact that we've just had the Bank of England rate decision. And the only real kicker in there was that they thought that that markets were effectively not viewing things in the same way they were. They weren't. The markets aren't as hawkish as they were. The Bank of England still seems to be along the on of the impression that the next move is going to be a rate hike uh, rather than a rate cut, which again very much goes against the trend that we're seeing elsewhere. Or just stay the same. Or just stay the same, which is what markets are actually about, uh, yeah. uh, expecting at this moment, at least for the next twelve months. But again, when you've got so much uncertainty, how do you say anything with any real certainty? Amazing, isn't it? Because we did see uh, a lot of people saying that there would definitely, definitely be a hike this year. Now that seems to have completely gone out the window. Yeah, I mean, I, I was very much uh, one of those who thought there could be a hike this year, because, but this was very much before we started hearing Fed talking about cutting interest yeah. rates and others talking about cutting interest rates, which effectively, if you're standing still, means your, your, your financial conditions are tightening because your currency by default is getting that little bit stronger um, uh, and your rates by comparable are that little bit higher. So, it is, it is, But then it also is a case of Brexit's not resolved. Brexit, it won't be resolved now until at least the 31st of October. 
October and probably beyond and the Bank of England won't want to tighten interest rates when other central banks are cutting rates and when Brexit is unresolved. Uh, and that's why one of the reasons the, this slowdown is also why they lowered growth forecast, growth forecast for the second quarter from 0.2 to 0%. Indeed, and we've got so many geopolitical issues at the moment. I'm sort of running out uh, of numbers. Uh, Let's just start with where they all centre, Trump. Well, yes, uh, mainly, although you can't blame Trump for Hong Kong, maybe. I know that's maybe not something that we're going to discuss today, Uh, but there are, yeah, the the Chinese... It's very uh, much a lingering issue, though. That that is a lingering issue, but let's start um, with oil, and uh, the problems with Iran at the moment, and oil is on the up. Uh, they've uh, they look like they're going to exceed their enriched uh, uranium limit under the 2015 deal. And uh, we had an escalation in uh, the Straits of Hormuz this week as well. So uh, it's not looking too positive at the moment, is it? No, especially when we look at uh, was it yesterday or the, yesterday when the uh, U.S. drone was uh, shot down by Iran. U.S. claiming it was on in, in international waters, Iran claiming it would enter their airspace and therefore yeah. deemed a threat. This kind of escalation isn't helpful. Well, uh, apparently, uh, Trump had some guys in the air who were ready to bomb some sites in Iran. Exactly. Um, uh, I mean, that would have been a complete game changer. We would be having a different conversation right now, wouldn't we? Well, exactly. I mean, that is an enormous escalation from uh, from where we were even a week ago. And a week ago, we were talking about that hasn't um, happened since the eighties. No, uh, and it, it, it's and this is this is what scares people with Trump's kind of techniques. And I know we haven't seen a lot of the negative ramifications of this more. Um, this sterner approach to uh, international affairs uh, and foreign policy so far tariffs on china we haven't we haven't fully seen the effects of what that could do from a negative uh, viewpoint yet the approach to north korea which got north korea to the table initially but again relations seem to be souring there we have kim in uh, so we have xi in uh, in north korea right now and we've seen some comments from there when this is where we start to see the negative side effects of uh, of this this kind of approach and the escalation that we've seen with Iran has been quite significant already. And if this continues to ramp up at this rate, then there is a real threat. And that's a real threat in an area of the world where it's already very volatile. But also, we do rely on that, as you've mentioned, the Strait of Amuz uh, for uh, the passage of around a fifth of all oil production on a daily basis. So it could really have a big impact on us all if this does continue to escalate. We start to see more uh, ships being targeted in that region. We start having to look at ways to get around that uh, and then oil prices spike, and then it affects everyone at the pump. And if we suddenly see three-digit oil way above what it is at the moment, that changes everything, doesn't it? Well, we've seen recessions caused by oil price spikes before, and mm. this is at a time when we're already seeming seemingly very vulnerable. Um, so there is uh, a, clearly a bit of a risk there, and that must be playing in central bankers' positions as well. Because when you're a central banker and you're making these forecasts, you're not just making the forecast based on what is happening. You're 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 weighing up the risks and vulnerabilities um, into your uh, into your forecast as well, which is why these forecasts change so much. Which is why Brexit, for example, was so difficult to forecast because you weigh up the risks and probabilities of things happening. That doesn't necessarily I mean they are going to happen and therefore your forecasts are going to become true you're taking what we know now uh you weigh it up and then you you, you decide what the what the outcome will be um but this is a major escalation and oil prices finally spiked i think um it hasn't spiked as much as most people would have thought 
based on what we've seen so far because of this oversupply issue us pumping at record rates uh, global um, demand slowing uh, because of an economic slowdown so we haven't seen the spike that we would have expected and i think g20 next week could potentially provide that spike i think trump needs some good news and i think if he can come to an agreement with g to restart talks that will be the good news which could give the markets an extra lift give oil an extra lift as well and uh, and reduce some uh, global economic fears so that's, that's something that could cause a spike in the near term as well. And we've got a rally at the moment. Is it sustainable? That's I think that's the big question because at the moment the rally is being effectively driven by central banks. The Fed making a massive U-turn from raising interest rates four times that last year. Markets now pricing in two or three rate cuts this year. That's an enormous U-turn and quite a rapid one at that. The ECB talking up stimulus, much to Trump's annoyance, as we saw on Twitter. Um, uh, and other central banks, RBA, RBNZ, cutting interest rates. We've seen it all um, already. Um so, based on that, you would say the market could be this the, the stock market run could be sustainable, especially if Trump and G can come to some form of agreement and ease. Is it likely? Economic concerns. I would say yes, um, only because I think the U.S. Trump needs a win right now. I don't think it's in either side's um, interest to really drag this out too much longer. When you look at the impact which we're now seeing on Huawei, for example, and the uh, the, the expectations for the phone sales um, and the the, the impact abroad um we're uh, i think it's very much in g's interest as well um i'd be surprised if something positive doesn't come out of that how how significant that is in the longer term we'll have to wait and see though trump certainly needs it at the moment he's just started his campaign for 2020 he needs a bit of good news we've got iran on the horizon of course this is the president who promised that we wouldn't actually or the west or united states wouldn't be going into the middle east yeah exactly and uh, but then i mean the we have seen in the past um, foreign policy um, can be handy, a handy tool when approaching a presidential election uh, yeah. for the incumbent president or prime minister. So um, this may actually rally the central nationalism rally um, voters behind him um, it, it, as long as the escalation isn't obviously too significant. But like I say, it is interesting with Trump because in a week that he's told us that this is the best US economy ever, the envy of every other country, and also telling us that the central bank absolutely has to cut interest rates, um, they're, they're very much messages that were coming. That suggests to me that he's desperate to send one message ahead of the election, but he's very much concerned about the prospect that things could take a turn at the worst time possible. Can I go back a bit, Craig? And uh, we didn't actually mention the Mansion House speech uh, with Philip Hammond and uh, Mark Carney uh, in action. And, of course, it was probably, almost definitely, um, both of those characters' last ever Mansion House uh, speeches. Uh, should we have a sort of a, a, a short review of the career of, of at least one of those gentlemen? Because um, it's the end of an era, really, isn't it? It is. When you look at someone like Mark Carney, I think he is not going to be sad to leave. Uh, and who can blame him? I yeah. think he took over a job that he thought was an exciting prospect. The UK was on the recover. The job looked really interesting. He was coming from the Bank of Canada, so maybe it was seen as a slightly bigger job. And how many people in Canada will have known who he is? How yeah. many people would have thought negatively of him? He was actually highly thought of, and instead he's come to the UK and because of Brexit. He became villainized. He became the subject of uh, Brexiteers' anger. Mm. And Project Fear. Exactly. And so... This uh, this is not the job that I don't think he signed up for, and I'm, I think he he's only stayed on as long as he has in a kind of sense of duty, which is again interesting. Again, it says probably a lot about his character in in many ways that he's, despite 
everything that's happened over the last couple of years. He's extended his stay beyond when he wanted to mm. in a country where he's not. He doesn't. He's not going to live in the future. He's not um, originally from just because of a sense of duty. So um, I think that's one thing we can take away. And I think he's actually handled the whole thing very well. I seem to be in the minority here, but I actually think he's handled the whole thing very well. And we've just he's just entered an extremely polarized debate. And I I've said this I've said this a few times. I don't think the help. I don't think the fact that he's not English has helped his position in terms of being targeted by um by the Reese Moggs and everything of this world. It took, he was almost an easy target. Yeah, we never, cheap shots, weren't they? Exactly. And we never heard his colleagues targeted either, uh, nearly as much. Yeah. Um especially so publicly. I so, agree. I think he I think he's done a pretty good job under the circumstances. Uh, yeah. Started off looking a bit like George Clooney. <laughs> now um the, the the I think the the, the the 16 hour days or whatever it is have taken their toll haven't they yeah me I, I hope the um I hope he starts to look a lot healthier afterwards like yeah, Theresa May has ever, oh, he, ever he, since she announced yeah. that she was leaving she's yeah. suddenly started to look a li- like she can sleep again um what about and, Philip Hammond Philip Hammond there's not really too much to say about him is there I mean he's if, if you want to look back in five years uh what was his greatest achievement well he's he's overseen an austerity program and just about kept it going really and now of course the levers are being loosened uh, he's not going to see that. So, uh, equally, as with Carney, he's had a very, very tricky job. And I have to say, he's done a reasonable job because he's had a very weak prime minister on the one hand, all the Brexiteers on the other, and he's been stuck in the middle. He's kind of managed the process, I guess, but he's not had to do much and he's not had much to do anything with. He's not had he's, he's in he's not pretty to, good shape, though, isn't it, considering? Reasonable, but I think that's got, that says probably a lot more about our economy than it does the way that it's being managed. Yeah. Um, he's not had to do the cuts that George Osborne had to do. He's not had to do the kind of growth stimulus that the next Prime Minister will have the opportunity to do. He's but just he kind of been that middle managing man who's, yeah. who's just had to just tie things over. And that's so, therefore, I think he'll probably look back on this and go, I waited years for this role and I never had the opportunity to really do anything. Like I say, what would you say his greatest achievement was? I, I couldn't name one. No, you got me there. Yeah, exactly. But It's uh, about time. <laughs> <laughs> he's been a manager as, as of uh, you know, a very, very difficult situation. It's like a That's, caretaker manager in football, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and uh, for that, um, we thank him. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. You're not being very generous to poor old Philip Hammond, uh, although I'm sure he'll be he'll be fine on the, on the speaking circuit. Although, would you pay a lot of money to see... He's, he's not a great orator, is he? Not, I think. not really. As, 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 I reckon he'll fall back to the back benches and him and Theresa yeah. May will sit there feeling sorry for themselves for a few years. Well, yeah, because she's going to stay on. Obviously, he doesn't have another life. But before I let you go, um, let's look at some other events. UK and US GDP? Yeah, so we've got a bit, little bit of data. I mean, I had to put this in here because, let's face it, there's not... And, no, and there's not an enormous amount to talk about next week from the purely economic side. Of course, the um, the geopolitical stuff is going to rumble on. The UK stuff is going to go a little bit quiet because now we're into that month of voting now. So we may hear the same reports every day, the little bit of batterings in the media, but there's not going to be anything hugely significant to talk about on that front. Um, so looking at the more economic side, I've got US and UK GDP. Uh, again, it's a revision, so it's not going to be a hugely significant uh, release. We've got the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, but they cut re- interest rates fairly recently and didn't signal another cut um, in the near term. So, again, it's just going to be a case of monitoring the progress uh, and seeing how they are monitoring the actual economy and the need for further interest rates cuts maybe this year. Um, and then we've got a few earnings, Nike, BlackBerry, H&M. I must, I must admit, um, every time I see BlackBerry's name, I, I, I forget that they still exist. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't it Nike? 
You say Nike. Is Nike, that a Liverpool thing? I think it must be. I mean, yeah. since I've moved down south, everyone says Nike, and I think that sounds ridiculous, but apparently <laughs> that is how it's said. But, I mean, I read it and I see Nike. Yeah, and it's H&M, not ham, all right? <laughs> Just a joke. Yes, I think ham would sound better. Craig, thank you very much for joining us today. We'll speak to you again same time next week. Cheers. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.